And now that's stuck in your head for the day. This is the I Read Star Wars comic book podcast special. I'm your host, Kara Shamborski, here with Brian Murray. Hi. And today we are going to talk about some stories that involve our original trilogy faves. That's right. We're going to be hitting the Age of Rebellion. Uh, So we're going to go over the Age of Rebellion Heroes graphic novel, the Age of Rebellion Villains graphic novel, and then uh, stopping in for a little more detail on our boy Lando. Bonus Lando. (laughs) I got to say, so I did go a little above and beyond in regards to Lando and read the Lando Double or Nothing graphic novel, which takes place for like circa the solo era of movies and i have to say it's it's a little ridiculous <laughs> so uh, as any good lando story would be sure but he spends the whole time just like talking about how great he is so i'm just uh. i'm just very glad that we're talking about lando who's maybe calmed down a little bit lando by the time yeah. the empire's in uh in control but uh he's been thoroughly humbled <laughs> well i don't know about thoroughly but sure he's well on his way lando calrissian has character development that's the thesis for today's show <laughs> uh but let's uh let's get started with a little chat about our heroes for the age of rebellion so this is again a uh selection of one-shot stories of some of our favorite characters from the original trilogy and a variety of artists, variety of writers. So you get different styles with each one. And uh, I really liked this hero's collection. Uh, We read the age of Republic ones already. And I feel like this age of rebellion heroes had a lot more, uh, it felt like when reading these stories that I was actually learning more about the characters. Like with Star Wars stories, it's so easy to just say, this character that you like, they're doing that thing that you like. But <laughs> but with Age of Rebellion Heroes, I really felt like each of the stories was adding a little bit more to my understanding of these characters from the films. Yeah, especially for characters like Lando, who did not necessarily get the attention that they may have deserved in the film. Mm-hmm. And Lanto actually shows up twice in this hero's book because he's a key player in the Princess Leia story where we get to see how she and him start working together in order to get Han Solo back from Jabba the Hutt at the beginning of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, which is always something that I was curious about growing up. Like the the time skip between Empire and Jedi it seems like so much has happened in the galaxy. And the last time Leia saw Lando, she was definitely about to punch him. And then all of a sudden, in Return of the Jedi, they're working together. Yeah, like fully ready to let Chewbacca strangle him. <laughs> but uh, as we see in this this Leia story in Age of Rebellion Heroes, she, uh, she gets a few kicks in. She... Yeah, yeah. You can, so... you can tell she was working through some stuff. Totally. So she comes across Lando. She's already got the, how do you pronounce his, his name? Boosh? 
Bosch. I've always said Bosch. Bosch the bounty hunter. So Leia's already got her Bosch getup. Lando thinks it's Bosch. And she's like, ha my disguise fooled you. And she's like practicing her bounty hunter disguise. Mm-hmm. And kind of like learning as she goes. But as with most Leia stories, people underestimate her. Yep. For example, Lando, which is how he ends up getting kicked several times. <laughs> which I will just never be over. Yeah, like she kicks the blaster out of his hand and then just boots him right in the head for good measure. <laughs> and you're like, okay. So I, I liked this story because it it teaches us a little bit more about who Leia is and also who Lando is because he's just like, well, fine, fine, fine. I will help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, and I did appreciate that um, he's very like, it's it's not my fault. What are you talking about? It's not me. And you're like, buddy, buddy, it's totally your fault. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that was like one of his first lines in the book is him just shouting, it's not my fault over and over again. <laughs> that is exactly what I'd expect from you, Lando. And I did appreciate it because that's also very, uh, very young Lando. Like, uh, say what you want about the movie Solo, but Donald Glover's performance as Lando Calrissian is great. Mm-hmm. And I feel like his interpretation of Lando is very, it's not my fault. <laughs> Absolutely. So this story to me tied tied those two a little bit more together. Yeah. One of my favorite bits in this this Leia book is when they're in the bar and the other bounty hunters are trying to intimidate who they think is Bosch. And Leia is apparently just a harder bastard than that bounty hunter was. <laughs> They're just like, wait, you're usually more skittish than this. And you're yeah. just like, mm, mm. <laughs> great. So, well, now we know for sure that if the princess general thing ever fell through, Leia would have made a fantastic bounty hunter. Absolutely. Oh, man. Uh, there's... A story about Han Solo in here, which I appreciated because it filled a plot hole I didn't realize was in the movies, but is totally in the movies. So at the end of A New Hope, Han's got his payday, right? Mm -hmm. And then he comes back at like the last second to, you know, to help out the rebellion. But also, if you really are watching the movie, it's that that TIE fighter who doesn't know how to fly who really messes things up. But that's that's a different show. (laughs) um, So he's tag or bank in that TIE fighter. Oh, man, I forget. But that that series is so good. Yeah. If if you're not familiar with the Star Wars comic books that were being published uh, prior to the Marvel acquisition, you absolutely required reading must read the Tag and Bank books. They're so good. It's like it's like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but for Star Wars, it's mm-hmm. just these two little goofballs rolling around through the trilogy, making a mess of everything. And you're like, okay, yeah. now this all makes sense. <laughs> but um, so so at the end, you think, oh, okay, Han's back because he's a good guy, sure, but then he keeps coming back and then also Jabba does still have that bounty on his head so you're like well wait a minute you had that money to pay off Jabba where'd that money go which is answered in this comic book one shot yeah so yeah that... like, like you said it, it it never occurred to me that that was a question I should have had before <laughs> reading this but there we are you're just like wait yeah you did have that money why was Jabba still after you well 
Han is Han, and he lost it all being a good guy. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what happens to Lando in the Lando one-shot, which, like, art and coloring alone, this this was the standout book in this collection for me. The Lando one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely thought so, too. It It has that same, like, borderline opulent feeling that I think is appropriate for Lando. Ooh, like would we call it sort of borderline? Like rich and warm. <laughs> this is like this book is straight up magenta. There's like rich blues, rich pinks. All mm-hmm. these colors are super saturated. The line work is fairly. It's like the colors are kind of flat, but they're so saturated that you really get a sense that there's this extra, extra depth to this world that Lando's inhabiting. Yeah, and this one also like was a, another thought that I never had, but probably should have, was that Lando was running Cloud City in the red. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we're seeing here, right? Is him like just not having the money to pay people and stuff? Ever. It's like his, his buddy with the cyber implants, Lobot, exists just to be like, so um, next payroll's in 36 hours, and we have no money. <laughs> And we're in debt from these people, and they're going to want to be paid back in 48 hours. And Lando's like, um, okay, time to hit a casino, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then we just get, like, three panels of Lando losing everything. <laughs> it's just just terrible. He re- And I, I do like, though, that uh, in this story, he does ultimately make... The, like, you find out he's got a little little extra stash of credits on the side where he's like if things at cloud city get too intense i'm just gonna leave i'm just gonna leave this is what i've always done this has always worked for me but by the end of this story you see that he has decided to use his credits to stave off total collapse of the cloud city for one more day and uh yeah it's a it's a real good money because he calls it his like runaway money Mm-hmm. That's enough money to start over in the next star system, and at the end, it looks like he's looking at it like, "All right, let's well, time for you and me to leave." And then it turns out that he's handing it out to the employees so that they can start over in the next system. He's so great. I just yeah. feel like, like with Lando, like he wants to be aloof and above it all, but when he finds something that he's into, he's like, "No, no, my thing, my thing." Like when when I was reading this, I don't. Brian, have you seen Finding Nemo? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> for so you recall how there's that one fish in the aquarium who's just obsessed with the bubbles uh, coming <laughs> out of like the treasure box. And whenever yeah, yeah. someone even looks at the bubbles, he's just like, my bubbles. Yeah. So I feel like Lando is my bubbles, but about Cloud City. <laughs> like, that's the vibe I got while reading this story. He's very like, no, no, this is my area. Everyone else just go away. It's fine. Nothing to see here. Yeah, Lando Lando definitely protects what's his, including mm-hmm. his people. Oh, he's such a sweetie. And uh there's a there's a Luke Skywalker story in this that I actually thought added I think this is the weakest story in this collection because it made a plot hole for me, whereas I felt like the other stories were kind of filling up plot holes. This one was like we're seeing Luke in action. He's getting the gist of his Jedi powers. 
and we see Emperor Palpatine like force reaching out to his mind. They're not even it's not even clear how close in proximity they are to one another. Mm-hmm. He's just doing like a little force mind jump where he's showing Luke like what life could be if he just like leaves the rebellion right now. That would be cool, right? And I'm like, okay. So Palpatine can get inside Luke's head. And he doesn't do this in Return of the Jedi when he's in the throne room. Like, what? why wouldn't he do that? If he has this capability, why would that not be a thing that he does? Yeah, yeah. What is, like, did he did he blow his one shot on, on giving Luke this, uh, this it's a wonderful life moment? Like, <laughs> I guess he, like, it just, uh, I, I wasn't satisfied by this this use of the the force mind link situation yeah i was also very confused on when this book took place exactly because luke's in his return of the jedi star wars outfit but it's uh but we're like yeah like it's gotta be somewhere between empire and jedi because he's got the green lightsaber Mm -hmm. but the emperor and vader are still alive so we know it's not post jedi but there's just there's a lot. Know, it, it it seems it's it's one of those things where there was enough time in there that obviously like missions like this could have taken place, mm-hmm. but it just seems out of place to me. Yeah, like I said, for for me, the weakest story in this collection, and yeah. uh, then there was a little bit about Yoda. We see Yoda right before Luke shows up, which it was like. It was like a nice little cute extra extra story. I was mostly like, okay, Yoda, you've put down your lightsaber, but you've picked up a bow and arrow. Okay, that still makes no sense for your stature, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's like a little like kid's like toy bow and arrow. Uh, but apparently powerful enough. To actually feed himself, and then he's just making the stew, and then Luke crashes, and I'm like, okay, if you're sensitive in the Force enough to move... A mountain off of you because Yoda basically in this story almost dies and then he's just like not today Satan and lifts this mountain off of him and then Luke shows up and he's like whoa what's this and I'm like Yoda you're like the most powerful Jedi you're telling me ghost Obi-Wan didn't show up to be like by the way the kid is coming (laughs) (laughs) expect company Uh, I did love the moment when Yoda was trapped under those rocks and just starts laughing. Like that was a, a very like Empire era Yoda thing to do. Absolutely, he's, he's definitely gone a little crazy in that swamp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so reminiscent of Tag and Bank, who we name checked earlier, is the final story in this collection, which was a. Uh, Biggs and Porkins feature. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> was they, uh, a weird one. Yeah, it's like they decide to go on vacation and it's like it's a super surreal story. It's very um maybe like meta because they make these these jokes that definitely just would not happen within the Star Wars universe, but to us uh-huh. as contemporary readers, they're cute. So it's just a very, very strange story to read. Like, uh, like, like Biggs spending the entire book in a bright orange speedo. 
<laughs> Which, sure, I buy that in character, but I also don't think that he would realistically have taken a two-week vacation in the middle of a war. Like, I get that that leave is a thing that is a reality for people who are fighting in a war, but I feel like since the rebellion is a little more, like, scrappy, underfunded, guerrilla-style warfare, they wouldn't necessarily be able to be like, all right, you've been on the front for, like, four months now. You should probably take a week off. I think it would be a little more like, oh, my God, you're still breathing? Here's a blaster. Go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That said, this was, uh, I mean, the colors in this story, again, like the Lando story, jumped out at me because they're super Mm -hmm. saturated and... This art style was a little different and quirky, but it, it ended on kind of a bleak note where Porkins is like, what are we even doing? And I'm like, what are we even doing? So, Yeah, and it, it starts off with like a hologram of a TIE fighter's pilot's family bouncing off his cockpit after he blew up the TIE fighter. And it ends like, with oh. him being like, what will I be when this is over? Ooh, And you're just yeah. like, this is bleak. I didn't sign up for bleak, but okay. I mean, and the answer is, of course, dead. But, <laughs> Ooh, too but soon. He, does, he doesn't know that the Battle of Yavin is coming. Too soon for Porkins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Porkins. Also, like, what a tragic name. Like, who said, yeah. you know what? We're going to name the chubby one Porkins. That's going to yeah. be that's going to be a thing. I'm like, we're really? going to take our only fat character and we're going to name him Porkins. <laughs> It's just just poor planning. Just terrible. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some villains, Brian. Yeah, let's uh let's turn to the dark side. Dun dun dun. So uh getting into getting into the villains, so there's a there's a Tarkin story in here, but I felt like it was I d I don't know. Did you read the Tarkin novel that came out? Like I did, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like this this story made more sense if you had read the Tarkin novel as opposed because like all right so for those of you who hadn't read the Tarkin novel and haven't looked at the Tarkin page on Wikipedia uh Grand Moff Wilhuff Tarkin was uh raised on a planet where it was very much like kill or be killed like as a society that's just how things were structured so he grew up in this really savage environment where if you're not killing someone, you're probably dying at someone else's hand. So the story in this in this villain's collection is him basically just being totally disgusted by the weakness in the Imperial officers who didn't have this mm-hmm. drilled into them. And uh, I actually really liked this story in terms of it adding a little bit of a plot twist to the destruction of Alderaan. Yeah, that was wild. Right? Because in the movie, you're watching it and you're like, oh, he's a <clears throat> dick. So he's just going to keep, he's just going to blow up Alderaan because like, like he says, Dantooine is not a big enough impact. He's just going to blow up Alderaan because the princess is right there and it'll be harmful to the rebellion and all this. But actually, we find out in this comic, it's because he sees one of the officers like breathe a sigh of relief when he finds out that there's a different target besides Alderaan. Yeah. And then Tarkin's just like, oh no, we're blowing this up right now. Right now. 
And then he ends up killing all the officers who hesitated because they put like biochips in everyone's helmets to see if anyone like was a little slow following orders. Yeah. It's so, very, very uh, intense. Pretty brutal. I mean, we like we know Tarkin is terrible, but this story was a really, really nice way of being like, so you know how Tarkin's the worst? Well, he's really the worst. <laughs> For yeah. many reasons. I, I like it because it, it really gave him the sort of like evil crocodile Dundee vibe. <laughs> where he's just like covered in scars and ready to take his shirt off and kill somebody with his hands. Like, Yeah, that part of the story confused me because it's like all of a sudden Tarkin is shirtless and like holding a knife. And he's like, we'll fight to the death. And you're like, what? What? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that turned out to be like his imagination. Yeah, him being I mean, like, I I wish I could just do this. Man, he's just like there. There were multiple like this is a short story, but there were multiple points in this story where you're just seeing what's going on in his mind, and it's always thinking about just completely obliterating someone. So you're like, oh, and you're the guy who's in charge of the Death Star. Got it? Yeah. Yeah, it really makes you miss Krennic, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, Krennic was at least like vaguely insecure enough where maybe he would have second guessed himself about blowing shit up but Tarkin's mm-hmm. very much like oh no we're gonna blow this one up and you know what we're gonna blow this other one up too because they looked at me funny that one time yeah alright so we got a, a Boba Fett story in here which I gotta tell you Brian I cracked up when I saw Boba Fett in this story because he emerges in the plot riding like a metal horse but without a yep. head, it's it's the dorkiest mode of transportation I think I've seen in a Star Wars story. Yeah, and you, you've got like his his giant like Rob Liefeld pouches. Yes, on oh my god, on that picture too. I didn't even notice that, but you're totally right. This is Cargo Pants City. And his his belt that's just pouches. <laughs> <laughs> just looks a little wacky. Bless him. This, this, this is a. Kind of like what I was saying earlier, where a lot of Star Wars stories are just like, here's that character you like doing that thing that you like. And I felt mm-hmm. like that was this Boba Fett story. It was very yeah. like, you you like Boba Fett, and we're going to just have him be a bounty hunter. And it's fine. I, I do uh, appreciate it as them like showing you why Boba Fett is something to worry about in the Star Wars universe. Like You see just how like coldly competent he is as a bounty hunter. And it's a nice contrast to the Han and Lando stories from the Heroes collection because the Han and Lando stories are about them thinking that they're selfish but ultimately making the choice that's more altruistic. Whereas here, (laughs) the script is flipped and you think Boba Fett is maybe a gray area good guy, but then he flips that script and is like, "Mm, no, I'm just in it for the money. So and just disappoints everyone around him. Yeah, when when he pulls off the easiest job of all time, where he's like turning in one bounty and some guy is like, Boba Fett, please, you got to help me. And Boba Fett's like, oh, there's a bounty out for this guy asking for help. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, and and my job here is done. My job here is done. I thought the art in this story was interesting because... I didn't think the faces were very expressive, but I thought 
Boba Fett's body language was very expressive. So I wonder if the artists normally work on like Transformers stories or something where there's a little less squishy wrinkles to work with. (laughs) (laughs) What an awful way to describe faces. Well, how else would you describe humanoid faces? You just got to get right up in somebody's squishy wrinkles and <laughs> give them a piece of your mind, you know? <laughs> just going to hashtag every selfie I take from now on with squishy wrinkles. Yuck. Gross. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, speaking speaking of, squishy of squishy wrinkles, wrinkles <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Job of the Hut, which, all right. This so so I I don't know about you, but when I saw Return of the Jedi, I'm like, how is Jabba the Hutt in charge of Tatooine if he's just this slug that sits there yeah. and walks so easily into this trap that Luke has like essentially told him is a trap. So this story I appreciated because you get to actually see that it's not so much Jabba's physicality that's what's important here as it is his like really conniving criminal thoughts yeah he's very sneaky and that's on full display in this this one shot yeah it's like there's this there's this wine that the or or spirit or something that the Tuscan raiders make that just make the rich people on Canto Bight and Coruscant like lose their minds it's so good they're willing to pay anything for it so everyone's like trying to get the wine for the Tuscan Raiders, but Jabba's like, no, no, this is my turf. And he finds out that lots and lots of different groups are after this same kind of territory. So he ends up like manipulating them into ending up at the same place where there's no wine, but where they all see who all the competition is. And then there's this huge shootout and the Tuscan Raiders are just like, gosh, there's a lot of lights happening up on that ridge. Yeah, like the the Tuscan Raiders come to Jabba asking him to, they're like, hey, these guys are in our territory. We want them gone. And Jabba's like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And the Tuscan Raiders just leave because what else are they going to do? Sure. And then Jabba finds a way to take out all these people who are messing with him and also satisfy the Tuscan Raiders and just come out fully on top. That's just... It it does make you respect his his criminal cunning. I also appreciate that, you know, you think, oh, the whole point of this story is that Jabba's going to have control of this wine again. And then at the end of the story, you see that the wine has been synthesized. So the original stuff is pretty valueless at this point. So everyone's like, well, well, it's not worth anything right now. And he's like, "Mm hmm. Yep. Like, it's it's irrelevant because he's retained control of the territory, and that's what matters to him. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's got the, the Tusken Raiders back in his on his side, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I, I do, I really love this book for, for showing the Tusken Raiders as people. I feel like that's, they're, they're just, like, generic monsters in the, the movies, kind of like, like orcs or goblins in Lord of the Rings. Uh, oh. It is nice to see them being treated as a civilization. And not just something for Anakin to slash through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do a better job of it in the prequel trilogy than in the, the originals. But mm-hmm. yeah, they're still just like murdering kidnappers there to be cut down so that Anakin has somebody to murder. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean the Jedi weren't enough? Yeah. 
Ugh. The younglings. Ugh. Ugh. So, um, in the Darth Vader story in this collection, there is a a pretty brutal double page spread where it's just like seeing what's going through Vader's mind when he has to kneel to the Emperor. And it's just him flashing back to being a slave boy and, you know, having Obi-Wan be the most disappointed in him and then having Mm -hmm. the Emperor just torture him. And you're like, man, Anakin puts up with a lot of shit. No wonder he flips on the Emperor at the end. (laughs) Yeah, I'd throw a boss like that down a hole, too. (laughs) Like Palpatine's just really relishing making Anakin just hate everything. And I get it. Like, that's a Sith thing. And they're supposed to be full of hatred and anger. But I'm like, that seems like a strategy that's designed to backfire on you. Yeah, this this book definitely gave me my favorite little throwaway bit of Star Wars lore, which is this this planet of Oncrontarium, uh, where the like droids have just gone gone wild and have been like modding themselves and rebuilding themselves and. I just want to see that book now. You mean you didn't want to see more of the giant space crab in the Kinkalo Belt containment zone? <laughs> the giant space crab was also very good. Um, <laughs> like, see, that's the kind of thing that, that I'm like, Star Wars should do more of. Like, you, you have the potential to create your entire galaxy and everyone's a humanoid. Like, no, give me an enormous space crab. <laughs> it's like bigger than an asteroid. So this regional governor has been essentially given ultimate authority over Vader, and he's being a dick about it. So he's like, hey, Vader, go out into that asteroid zone, and um, why don't you just destroy the most intense thing you find? And of course, there's this enormous space crab. And I'm just like, who did this? <laughs> yeah. Who said, let's make it a crab? Somebody saw the space slug and went, mm, not enough claws. <laughs> um, so my question then is... Like, when the space crab then appears to, like, smash through the window of this Star Destroyer and, like, grab at the governor, was that Anakin, like, force controlling the crab? Or, like, that was the one thing I was not sure about. Yeah, I'm not clear on that either. Because historically, he has not been very good at that. And I don't (laughs) know why becoming Darth Vader would have made him any better at it. Yeah, I think it has something to do with being raised a slave. He wouldn't want to really control anyone else. Yeah. At least that's 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 at least my theory. But then it's like, then why are you putting up with Palpatine's bullshit? It's just just this terrible, horrible lost soul. Doesn't know what to do. So it just keeps following the shitty boss. Uh, Let's get Anakin a better boss. Yeah. Get him a better dad. That's- <laughs> We keep coming back to <laughs> Anakin has had a series of disappointing father figures. Oh man. I mean, that's a pretty brutal summation of all the problems in the Star Wars galaxy, but okay. Yeah. Well, they all need better dads. <laughs> uh, you know who doesn't necessarily have a dad? Uh, would that be IG88? It would be IG88. <laughs> One of one of my favorite robots in the Star Wars canon. Now, was that from the first time you saw him in the movie and said, ooh, who's that bounty hunter? Yep. <laughs> Why well, went that guy looks rad? 
<laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> the primary motivation of any kid watching Star Wars for the first time. What about the cool looking one? Yeah. Well, I remember him being like a bad guy in the old Nintendo 64 game. Mm-hmm. You have to like fight him in a junkyard, and it's it's he's he's in uh, one of the one of the the Young Jedi Knights books. I think he's a he's a primary antagonist for a book. Oh man, the Young Jedi Knights books! I used to read those. Yeah, I think it was the one where they go onto like this asteroid that has like a, a plague, like an Imperial synthesized bioweapon or something like that. Gross. I don't know. I I I recently found a bunch of my old Young Jedi Knight books, so I gotta I gotta go back and reread them all now. <laughs> Please live live tweet your reactions so we all know. <laughs> I will certainly do that. Be like, does this hold up? So there's this IG88 story in here, and it's basically like, so um, so IG88 is definitely as terrible and gross as you've heard, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing is, like, IG-88 is a monster. (laughs) (laughs) But it was kind of chilling that basically the narration for this story is like, maybe this story was true, maybe it's not true. Meanwhile, let's show you another story of him absolutely manipulating people into killing one another so he doesn't have to do it. And then at Mm -hmm. the end, they're like, by the way, all these stories are true. And you're just like, holy shit, why wasn't he the one to go after Han Solo? Yeah, I mean, probably because he would have blown him up. <laughs> That's probably true. If Jabba wanted him alive, probably wiser to go with Boba Fett. That's one thing that I wish that the the Boba Fett had explained was like, why does he have a reputation for disintegrating people? Because <laughs> Vader calls him out very specifically about that in Empire. <laughs> like finger thumping his chest. Like, I swear to God, if you disintegrate one more... <laughs> No disintegrations. Oh, man. (laughs) I I love how, like, we see IG-88 get ambushed and blown apart, but his head is still intact, and that's enough. I mean, but again, this is the the flaw of having most of the critters in Star Wars be vaguely humanoid, because, like, why would there necessarily have to be all of the major... Uh, processing centers for a robot in the humanoid head like that was a that was a creative choice they could very easily be like in the torso or in the feet so then if you were like oh i'll just cut off the head and that will solve the problem but you'd be wrong i mean my my secret theory is that ig88's processing unit is actually on his spaceship the ig2000 oh and uh he just sort of beams himself into like avatars essentially these robotic Ooh. avatars because i mean and i don't know if this is canon anymore but we used to have like ig88 a b c and d which oh. were like the different ig bots i don't think i knew about that but that's that's pretty chilling yeah and i don't remember if any of that was true or not but that's definitely what i remember <laughs> like well i mean as we saw in this story it's all true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's talk about our boy Lando again real quick. Yeah, let's let's dig out of our uh, our villain pit. <laughs> well, sort of, because there is there is some scum and villainy in this one too. So this is the Lando miniseries 
uh, written by Charles Soule, and the artist is Alex Maleve. And this came out... Uh, this is one of the first Marvel Star Wars comics to come out post-Disney acquisition. Yeah, it was definitely one of the early ones. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, I had forgotten how much I enjoyed this this story, so I'm glad that this is the one that we decided to highlight for this episode. Because it's... I think it's one of the best heist stories I've read in comic book form. Yeah, it's it's really good, especially the way they, they show the... Cause the the plot is them stealing the Emperor's pleasure yacht, basically. Uh, of course, we find out that's not what it is. But <clears throat> the way they do the heist is really cool because we see Lando talking about how easy it's going to be narrated over the shots of them actually doing it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really good way to... I don't, I don't want to say get it out of the way, but it was a nice way to streamline the action and get to the more important bits. Yeah, it's like, here's our exposition, here's how we got on the ship, and now let's talk about what happens while we're on the ship. So, the, uh, so again, like, this with the, with the art and the colors, not something I normally notice, but the colors in this book were so effective at succinctly doing mood shifts, or even, um, you know the you know, spoilers, but the the big reveal in this book is that at the heart of Palpatine's like pleasure yacht is actually just this repository for the Sith artifacts he's been collecting over the decades, and it's it's really creepy in there. And some of the the people that would we, would we call the cat ninjas people, <laughs> some of the the cat ninjas that Lanto brought along with him have. They, like, look into the eyes of this Sith idol and basically, like, go evil bonkers. But you don't really see that happening, but you see the colors shifting around them to indicate that that's what's happened. So I think that in in this book, the, there's a really uh, exceptional use of color in terms of efficient storytelling. Yeah, it's, it's also a really good way of showing, like, scene changes. Because we'll go from one scene that's all blues and greens, and then we'll cut over to a, a red and orange tinted scene. Yeah, this, I, I just, I keep going back to this Sith vault that they find, because, like, we know the Sith are evil, and we see the Sith and the Empire do some really terrible, messed up things, like blowing up entire planets, for example. But I don't think I really... Like, I'm like, okay, that's bad. That's horrible. That's terrible. But I don't think I I thought of the Sith as like a like a creeping, sinister, evil concept until this story, because the shift of the people on Lando's crew from like just trying to do this heist to get money to like you see this change all of a sudden just everything that mattered to them before no longer matters to them all that matters is being as destructive as possible and you're like oh i am reading a horror story now this has now changed in tone and i hate it yeah that's a really good way of putting it i didn't think about it in terms of being a horror story but that's 100 percent what happens it turns into that like demonic possession almost Absolutely. Like you think you're reading a fun heist and then all of a sudden you're like, 
oh, holy shit, everyone's turning on each other. And it's the it's like these Sith artifacts that are infecting them. And you see them actually like they there were some Imperial guards trapped in this vault and they had to fight them first and they take the helmets off and it's like warped humanity. And they're like, "Ooh, do all of them look like this? But Lando apparently has a history with one of them. And he's like, no. No, they're not all like that. I promise. And we were like, oh, okay. But okay. <laughs> Much like IG-88, we don't know how many of these stories are true. <laughs> um, I like to know that uh, Lobot got a little bit of a romantic history in this one, though. Yeah, with uh, the Chanath Cha, the bounty hunter slash assassin. Who- yeah. I definitely think we were supposed to think that she was Lando's love interest at first. I got that vibe. And then, like, we definitely then get the reveal of, no, she was actually, she's actually Lobot's ex. <laughs> which, which I loved, because I'm like, okay, Lando, I get it. You've got game. But can you possibly have this much game? Like, let's let's let some other people have a shot, you know? <laughs> And Lobot really is the the beating heart of this story, because that's what it ultimately turns out to be about, is why Lobot is as run by his implants as he is. Is that, like, okay, so then this story takes place before Empire, and that's why we don't see him talking in Empire? That's my understanding of it, yeah. Okay, I don't think I I don't think I quite got that. I think at the end when Lando was like, I'm gonna cure you, I'm gonna fix you, and Lobot does that like pre-recorded, like, that's nice, Lando. Uh I don't know. I, I guess I figured that in Empire he just didn't talk because that would ha- like like there he didn't need to talk and that would have required paying an actor for a speaking role. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's probably what it was originally. Sure, but, but now, but now I'm sad thinking that Lando didn't figure out a way to fix it. Yeah, and we also have no idea what happened to Lobot after Empire. Like, is he still running Cloud City? I want to know. The readers need to know. Yeah. So, Marvel, I know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> give us more Lobot. Yeah, or more Lobot and Lando because their their friendship is is was on really nice display in this lando is making all these choices that are just based around him wanting lobot to be okay yeah yeah there was uh one really good screenshot that i took when i was reading it of uh lando pulling lobot out of a back to tank after lobot had been stabbed and lobot being like is the job done and then there's that announcement over the ship intercom of like self-destruct has been activated (laughs) the lobot's like yeah that tracks (laughs) oh oh and then his implants take over it's so sad oh yeah yeah um as a as a uh miniseries slash complete trade i think this the lando book is one of the stronger standalone stories in the new star wars canon definitely i agree yeah so i'm glad we chose it to spotlight because there there are many many Star Wars comics that are based around the original trilogy characters. Um, there's the Princess Leia book. There's a Han Solo book. There's, of course, the the series that's just labeled Star Wars. There's that Vader series. But it's nice to drill down on a broad overview of the Age of Rebellion, but do a little special spotlight for Lando since we're uh, going to see him in Rise of Skywalker. Yes, we are. And thank goodness. 
Yeah. Ooh, maybe we'll find out what happened to Lobot. Maybe we will. <laughs> it's this like, let me just add this to the list of things that I wish will happen in Rise of Skywalker. It's like fulfilling, satisfying conclusion to General Leia's story arc. Kylo Ren maybe not being such a complete dick. What happened to Lobot? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to fully satisfy my my needs, this movie would be six hours long. But <laughs> I'm sure it'll do its best. It will try. It will certainly try. I mean, it can't be as bad as Attack of the Clones, right? <laughs> Don't put that evil in my head. Uh, and on that note... Thanks yeah. for listening to the I Read Star Wars Comics podcast presented by I Read Comic Books. This show was first aired on the IRCB Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. Special thanks to all you wonderful supporters out there. You can send us feedback about this show at ircbpodcast at gmail.com and check out our website ircbpodcast.com for our Discord, zines, and all things IRCB. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at IRCB Podcast. This show is produced by Brian Murray and Kara Shamborski, edited by Xander Riggs, and with Mike Rappin as executive producer. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. <laughs> <laughs>